Thank you for joining us for Sermons on Demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. We provide these videos as a way to share the pulpit messages and teachings offered at Friendship Grace Brethren Church. If you find these videos a helpful resource, please drop us a note at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com. Now open your Bibles and get ready to dig into the Word of God. Okay, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Prayer. Wow, it's going to be one of those days. Father, thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for loving us and caring for us. We think of all of our friends and, uh, and associates in uh, parts north that have had to cancel services this morning because of, of the snow and the cold, and that you would allow their congregations to uh, still be fed some way. Uh, thank you that many of them have uh, the capability of doing uh, streaming services and we just pray that you would continue to uh, watch over them and protect them. Thank you for an opportunity for us to gather together and to study and to uh, fellowship and to worship. We trust it would all bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are going to do Tour 7, Engaging with Truth. And because this, the whole tour was only 47 minutes long, uh, we can fit that into 45. Sort of. So uh, we're, we're going to go right ahead and do the whole tour this morning, and then next week we'll go through uh, anything that we need to. Questions or comments before we go? Okay, here we go. excited about this because we finally got ourselves to the tour where we're going to talk about engaging with truth. We've pointed forward to this several times and now we're here. And when I think about truth, I don't know about you, but for me, I think back to that profound moment when uh, Jesus stood before Pilate. And he spoke the words, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. And that, of course, launched us, if you recall, in the Truth Project on a whole series of tours that were focused on understanding what God has said and the truth that he has spoken in every area of life. And so... This is why Jesus was born. This is why he came into the world to testify to the truth. That means the truth is critical. It's important. And in the context of everything we've been talking about, and especially this epic of engagement, when Jesus left, what did he do? He then sent the spirit of truth. And the spirit of truth, Jesus said, would come and guide you into all truth. Truth is absolutely critical. And that is why in our attempt to carry out the royal law, to do what the Lord has asked us to do, that we are going to build deep relationships, 
and we're going to engage with grace and wisdom, but we're also going to engage with truth. Each of our key verses carried that same message. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And in 2 Timothy, the Lord's servant must gently instruct. This is the use of truth. Gently instruct his opponents in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And in the passage from Colossians 4, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Redeem that kairos moment. Let your speech, we will speak. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. This is truth. This is the truth of God. But we're going to learn how to season our speech with salt so that we might know how to respond to each individual. So we're going to talk about engaging now with grace and wisdom and with truth. And it is possible that we are going to talk about truth and engaging with truth in a way that is radically different than the way we've been thinking. We've talked about this before. These two things go together. In Ephesians, we are to speak the truth in love. What is this word? Agape. Agape. And so, speaking truth in love means that we are going to speak in such a way that we seek their true good. This is why we speak truth. We don't speak truth for our own good. We speak truth for their true good. And what that means is that we're not speaking truth to win. We're not speaking truth to gain power. This is not a prize fight with our neighbors where we're now trying to duke it out and to win some argument, some apologetic piece that we're going to finally bring them to their knees. That's not what this means. We will speak truth, but we need to speak truth through wisdom and grace. What does it mean to season our speech, and how do we do that in a deep relationship? It is not also under the guise of being a faithful witness. Uh, I want to, let's talk about this briefly because it's easy to misunderstand this. I have been a faithful witness when I was absolutely ineffective. 
and I was a faithful witness, and I get home and feel like I was a faithful witness. Why? Because I gave him the gospel. That is, now, <laughs> if we think that truth is the end game, then that's how we'll act, right? If truth is the end game, then by golly, give them the truth, and, that, and, and we've accomplished what we need to accomplish. But if we speak truth from true agape love, we don't speak truth merely to deliver truth. We speak it with a sacrificial zeal that seeks the true good, the shalom of another person. So if we see truth then as the means to the end, and we were talking about God's end game is abundant life, the fruitfulness of his creatures that brings glory to God. If we see truth as the means to that, then it will change not only how we receive truth, we were talking about this, that instead of just getting 10 more pages in our truth notebooks and saying, wow, I got this or I learned all this, I got all this, now that's good, that's good. But we receive that truth now from the perspective of saying, God, how do you want to use this in my life to bring fruit, to be an agent of life, to cultivate life? And it will change how we speak truth. That if truth is the means to the shalom of another person. Now I'm speaking it from a totally different perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then when I when I see someone, when I look at Melissa and I'm and I have this understanding why the grace, because we have a relationship and the wisdom and so forth, and the spirit prompts me to season my speech, I'm not, I'm not doing it to show myself big. I'm doing it why? Because I care about you, right? And she will receive it that way because she will no longer see me as a salesman. Why? Because we've built a relationship of trust. And so the purpose of truth is bound up together with true agape love. That's what we were saying before. You can't tear these apart. They're woven together. And they're woven together, I would submit to you, throughout the entire scripture, they're all woven together in such a way you cannot take them apart. When you do, they both turn into something different. God is seeking the flourishing of his creatures in accordance with the way that he has made them. When you look at your neighbor, you'll see them from the standpoint of God has made them to be a fruitful creature and to bring him glory. And God wants to use me to work through me to that end, not to elevate me. Okay, so when we talk about engaging with truth, for some of you, this may be exciting. And for some of you, this may be frightening. So if you are excited about this, <laughs> I know something about you. Mm -hmm. 
If you are excited about this, then you will have a tendency to speak truth a lot, but possibly without a lot of agape love. And if you're frightened by this, then you'll have a tendency not to say any truth at all, and you'll have a tendency to be more of the Hollywood love kind of thing. Does that make sense? I'm not saying it's absolutely one way or the other. I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying. (laughs) Okay, so for those of you who are excited about speaking truth and couldn't wait to get this tour, I have a verse for you. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have true agape love, I become this. And it may sound great to me. It may even impress a lot of people. But what the scripture says is it just fades away and it ends up being nothing. And if you are frightened by this, I will tell you that both the Old Testament and the New Testament give us this instruction. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. In Zechariah, these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth. To your neighbor. And if we are engaged with each other as believers, caring for one another, loving one another, then the frightened and the excited will help each other so that their tendencies can be pulled back to where they should be. Truth and true agape love go hand in hand. We can say they need each other. Truth just does not work without love. That's what the 1 Corinthians passage says. And love, we see it all the time in our culture. (laughs) Love that does not want to say there's an ought, love that does not want to speak truth, leads people into nothing but an abyss. So we're going to speak the truth in love, and we're going to make sure that we don't end up being a clanging symbol. And we're going to speak the truth because we know the true good of someone requires truth. Okay? So we're going to engage with grace, with wisdom, and it's through these that we're going to speak truth. Truth is going to be spoken through these layers of wisdom and grace, and it's going to be done in the context of a deep, significant relationship. Now, 
look at this. And this is just a diagram, right? I mean, it's just lines and so on and so forth. It, you know, we're trying to better understand this. But think about this. If you think truth is the end game, or if you think that truth needs to be spoken to win an argument, not that you openly think that, but that's how, how we go about this. Or if you think that I will become significant if I speak this truth, people will see me speak this truth. Or in the person I'm speaking the truth with, they're going to say, wow, that person really is smart. They know stuff. How would this picture change? Truth would be on the outside. What's that? Truth would be on the outside, the big one. That's exactly right. In fact, there wouldn't be anything but just truth, right? Just speak the truth. And I used to say that as well. And I don't mean to, me to demean this. We should have a passion to speak the truth. Don't get me wrong here. But I used to be one of those, you know, just get the truth out there. Just get the truth out there. But I now realize that, you know, if, if that doesn't come with love, then we have, we've misunderstood the scripture. Now, I will be honest with you as well. Just get the truth out there it was easy. That's the easy way out. It really is. And the other way is the easy way out, right? Mm -hmm. oh, just love, just love people, you know? Just love people. Because then I don't, I don't have to build a relationship. I don't have to understand their needs. I don't have to build trust. I don't have to spend time. I don't have to deal with crime scene tape, meth labs. The neighbors saying, why are you... Around with that crazy man. All we don't have to deal with all that, and then I don't have to deal with that moment in time when I've now made a friend that I really do love, and I know I got to speak this truth. But you, you know this as well as I do. When you have a close relationship with someone, if you if you really have a close relationship with someone, you could say your breath stinks, and you know what they'll say? Oh, thank you. Say that to someone in the elevator. You know? You may get punched in the nose. You can speak truth in such a way that it will make an enemy for life. Or you can speak truth in such a way that it endears you to a friend even more so. Now, how are we going to do it? Engaging with grace and wisdom and truth so what does this look like? I want to introduce you to someone that you already know. You know her as the wife of Kent Butterfield. But I want to introduce you to her before that, Dr. Rosaria Champagne, a professor at Syracuse University. And I'm going to let you hear her story. But this story becomes an interesting story because of Ken and Floyd Smith. Unfortunately, 
And we had a chance to interview Ken. Floyd had already gone home. But I want you to hear what happens when people begin to build a deep relationship with someone. It changes everything. Many times people have said to me, and I don't think they mean it to be quite this rough, but like basically, how did you get here? <laughs> and, and the answer was, you know, 500 plus meals at Ken Smith's house. Farmers keepers came to the city and there were 45,000 who were there. Uh, she wrote an article in the newspaper following that, talking down the idea of men and fathers. I was not just, at that point, you know, the, the lesbian next door who quietly sold insurance and, you know, just wanted to live a quiet life. I was also a gay rights activist, and I had co-authored the first domestic partnership policy at Syracuse, and. Um, you know, when I had written an article uh, protesting the Promise Keepers, one of the younger elders in the church put that article on Ken Smith's desk and said something to the effect of, we need to shut her up, she's trouble, to which Ken responded, oh, maybe Floyd and I should have her over for dinner. We didn't think anything about it. This was our lifestyle. When I started meeting with Ken and Floyd Smith, I was really doing that just to, um, I was working on a book project trying to prove that the Bible had no application in the secular world, but I had to understand the Bible well enough to, to critique it. And so I really thought of Ken Smith as my unpaid research assistant. Well, we really fell in love with the gal. She just was fun. Uh -huh. She was a pleasure to know. Almost immediately, my life got a lot nicer with these Christians in it. So it wasn't that Ken and I would have these, you know, fiery apologetic arguments about Romans 1. It was that Jesus's words, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, took on a, a real lived, tactile, taste and see dimension to it in the home of Ken and Floyd Smith. And then in the context of that kind of love and patience, um, I started to openly ask some of the harder questions that my worldview couldn't really answer. And Ken and Floyd were patient and present. We accept her as a friend. We also understood enough theology to know that it, she did not make the decision. She responded to the Lord. She had to be convicted. How did somebody like you, you know, get here? And the biblical answer, the biblical answer is um, before the foundations of the world, the Lord had set me apart, and then I lived in rebellion for years and years, and then the Lord sent a Christian neighbor to come get me. There it is, my friends. The whole ball of wax. Okay, now I'm going to... We're friends, right? Okay, let me ask you a very tough question. What if you had lived next door to Dr. Rosaria Champagne? Would you have had her over for one meal? How many meals did she say it took? 500. 500 plus meals. Would you have given up after the first 100? 
or 400? Or would there have ever been the first one? I'm talking to myself here, by the way. If you want to listen in, help yourself. Because <laughs> this question hits me right between the eyes. You might find yourself living next door to someone who is absolutely on the other side of the world when it comes to your biblical worldview. And that shouldn't matter at all. Because you know why they live there? Because you live there. I'm going to ask you another hard question. Do you really believe that God can do this? I mean, do you really believe that God can do this? And you may be thinking right now, I'm talking about, am I asking you if you think that God can really take Dr. Rosaria Champagne and make her now Dr. Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, married to a pastor, homeschooling her children? But I'm not so sure that's the question I want you to ponder right now. I want you to ponder the question of whether or not you think God can really do this in you, through you. Can God really use you like he used Ken and Floyd Smith? And the answer is yes. Why? Because you have everything that you need. You have the truth of God, and you have the Spirit of God. You have everything you need. Look at our, our vision here, and I want you to think of Ken and Floyd Smith. They built a real relationship with Rosaria. She was in their Jerusalem so that they could have her over for dinner and over for dinner and over for dinner and over again and again and again. And by the way, this may surprise you, Ken Smith is a pastor. You know how many times he asked Rosaria to come to church? Zero. Zero. They were building a deep relationship with her. And I wish we had the opportunity to have interviewed Floyd. She was on her knees constantly for Rosaria. Both of them prayed and acted upon those prayers. And they engaged her with grace and wisdom and truth. They were attractively winsome. Did you hear what she said? You know, immediately when I, I started to get involved in their life, things became better for me. They, these were people, they were attractively winsome, and, and I enjoyed being with them. 
they slowly began to tear down the walls. Every meal, they took a brick off the wall. Every meal, they built up trust. They were doing the work of the kingdom. And I'm going to submit to you that if we really understand truth, if we understand true truth and the purpose of truth, and we understand true agape love, the crown jewel in the nature of God, if we really begin to understand that both of these drive us into real relationships. They drive us into a deep relationship. Speaking truth is effective, most effective, when it is done in the context of a significant relationship. Okay, now, Rosaria has written several books now, and we didn't capture this uh, on, the, on the film. We captured several things like it, but I want to quote how she said it in her book because this, is, this quote is almost everything. She said this, Ken was wise to know that he could only speak truth as deep as our relationship could stand. Ken was wise to know that he could only speak truth as deep as our relationship could stand. So what was Ken's objective in speaking truth to Rosario? What was he after? I mean, this was, she was a, I was going to say kingpin. I guess you could say she was the queenpin. She was known all over. I mean, she was a militant pro-abortion activist. She was active in the, in, as she said, she was writing policy. So was Ken saying, oh, I, I mean, I'm going to topple the queen pin here. I can guarantee you no, because I talked with Ken. We talked for hours. That was not his objective. He cared about this person that was sitting at their dining room table whose name was Rosaria and he and Floyd poured out love in them okay are you ready now for the the big elephant in the room <laughs> the big elephant that is sitting in the room evangelism So let's talk about evangelism. Let's talk about our role, and let's talk about God's role. And how do we keep our desire from becoming our agenda? How do we keep our desire from becoming our script? And this is not easy. It's not easy. Why? Because if we really seek the true good of our neighbor and we know that our neighbor is not in Christ, 
we know that their ultimate true good is found in Christ. And I guarantee you, the, the more you draw closer to these people, you remember Phil was saying you pretend? I don't know if pretend's the right word, but it, pretend what it is is an act of the will, right? It's an act of the will. And you're going to find yourself in the act of a will that pretty soon something's going to begin to happen in you as well. And you might begin to develop another Greek word for love that we use, phileo. And you're going to begin to develop an affection for these people. And you're going to want them to come to Christ. But that cannot be your agenda. So I'm going to ask you another tough question. If you knew for sure I mean, if you knew for absolute sure that your neighbor would never, ever come to Christ, are you now free not to love them? Of course not. Okay, I'm going to say something else that's very tough. And I, went, I know you'll accept it, but stay with me here. Don't run away yelling heretic. There is a great word in the Greek language for evangelism. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he could have said, love God and evangelize your neighbor. But he didn't. When Paul moved by the Spirit of God to write to the Romans and to write to the Galatians, he could have said, everything is summed up in this one thing, evangelize your neighbor. He could have said that, but he did not. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wanted him to say everything is summed up in this one thing. Love your neighbor. Have a steadfast, sacrificial zeal that seeks the true good of the one who providentially lives near you. And how long are you to do that? until you finally decide you don't think they'll ever come to Christ? No. You do that until the day you die, or the day they die. That does not mean, and don't even begin to think, that that means that we are somehow demeaning evangelism. I quite frankly think what we are doing is kickstarting evangelism. Amen. We're going to do it his way, not our way, okay? A friend speaks truth, an enemy speaks lies. To one, my ears and heart are open. With the other, they are closed. It means we're going to seek to build a friendship and we're going to do that friendship with no agenda other than to love them. I'm going to tell you about a friend of mine. He and his wife had been convicted of this. They were building a relationship with a non-believer who lived next door. And it had been years. It had taken years to build up trust. 
and they had invited them over for dinner. And they had also invited a friend from church to come. And they said, now, you know, the, these people are not believers. And in the middle of the dinner, their friends pulled out the four spiritual laws and preached the gospel to them. And those friends got up and left. And he said, in one second, because they felt betrayed by us. They felt that we had brought in these folks to give them the gospel. And because you know as well as I do what happens when you come to a relationship with an agenda, right? We all know that. This is our, our hope, yes. This is our longing. But it can't be our agenda. I'm not saying this is easy. That I, you, you, you and I, we, we have to continually walk this line. Because agendas will destroy relationships. In fact, I will tell you, and that's what I love about this millennial generation, they can smell a, an agenda a mile away. Hallelujah, I'm glad, I'm glad for that. We are called to love our neighbors with true agape love. The Lord's servant must gently instruct his opponents in the hope that God will grant them repentance. God is the one who will grant them repentance. This is God's role in evangelism. Take that burden off your back. He is the one who is going to grant them repentance. You love them. The Spirit of God will lead you at the right time. Ken was wise enough to know that he could only speak truth as deep as our relationship could stand. And you will speak the truth, and you will leave the work of repentance to him. I used to think that it was my job to get people to repent. <laughs> That's wrong. Absolutely wrong. I want to introduce you to this book. We referenced it a little bit. Amazing little book, just basically kind of a research study by... Two guys, Don and Doug, who had been in campus ministry for, I think, 30 years. And uh, they decided to go back and interview as many of these students that had come to Christ as they possibly could. They interviewed over 2,000 of them, those who had gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and what they wanted to do was say, oh, tell us about your journey. Not, you know, just not from a touchy-feely thing. They wanted to know, you know, what happened here? And it's fascinating. Now, everybody's different. You know, we all have different fingerprints and all of that kind of stuff. But they said, every one of these people, every one of them went through five thresholds. They did not go from zero to, to the next step unless they went through threshold one. They did not go to the next one and they went through threshold two. And do you know what the first threshold is? I bet you could probably guess by now. The first threshold was this, that every one of them began to some degree or another with a distrust of Christians 
and a distrust of Christianity. And the very first threshold that they went through, and they didn't go in, they didn't go the rest of the way unless they went through the first one. And they went from distrusting a Christian and distrusting Christianity to trusting a Christian. And you didn't get the rest of the way unless you got past that first threshold. And by the way, the second one, you may have uh, may remember this from Rosaria because she followed the same pattern. Remember, she said she, she got to the point where she began to ask questions. Why? Because she began to trust Ken and Floyd. Asking the questions that now no longer made sense, that her worldview couldn't make sense of. And that's exactly the second threshold. So what does it do? It brings us back again to the significance of deep relationships, which is exactly what God has asked us to do. Oh my, it's brilliant. It's simple, but it's brilliant. And it's consistent with who God is. We're back to the nature of God. Well, let me point you to this last part of our vision. We're going to build deep relationships. We're going to do it through prayer and action. We're going to do it with grace and wisdom and truth. We're going to be attractively winsome. Why? Because the Spirit of God is equipping us to do so. As best we can, we're going to tear down walls. We'll take them down one brick at a time. It may take a long time. We're going to build up trust. It may take a long time to build up trust. And we're going to do the work of the kingdom. So I want to offer you a kingdom perspective from 2 Corinthians. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Let me stop for a second. And gave us, who is us? Common folk. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I want to introduce you to 
one of the most precious ladies in the whole world, and she is found in Prague, in that atheist city, Prague, in the Czech Republic. Her name is Ludmilla. In my lifetime, I have experienced the rule of two totalitarian regimes. One was the German Nazis, and the second was the Russian communists. After 40 years of communism here, the fact that many believers left the country, the Czech Republic has been called the most atheist place in Europe. It breaks my heart. My name is Ludmila Harerova. I'm 82 years old. My husband went to heaven in 2002. The Lord Jesus told me, now he is my husband, and he wants to continue to use me. He wants me to be his representative, his ambassador. Next to the door of my house, there is a bronze sign that says, the embassy of the kingdom of heaven. My home is an extension of Christ's kingdom. It's a place where people can come and look for help if they're in trouble or have a need. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. That is the atmosphere I want here at the embassy. Today, a dear friend came by. She's a widow, and her family really are struggling financially. Whenever people enter this house, I just lay everything else aside and spend time with them. I have learned to recognize the inner voice of the Holy Spirit and give him room to use me. There is no problem to deal with the issues that people bring when they come here because the Holy Spirit is here. It's an honor for me to be an instrument of God's love and his wisdom every day. We often don't realize that all believers are called to be representatives of the kingdom of heaven. We are all ambassadors. The Lord Jesus didn't choose to do it any other way. He simply entrusted us. What if you decided to put a plaque on your home that you and your family 
would make the decision that this is the embassy of the kingdom of heaven. And you are ambassadors, every one of you. Dad, mom, son, daughter, grandma, whoever lives there. You're ambassadors for Christ. The Lord has given us such a simple thing. The greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor. All the commandments are summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the royal law. If this is the primary work of the kingdom, which I I think it is, then again, he's entrusted that kingdom work to you and me, the common folk, the everyday Christian family. I mean, what, what could be more exciting than that? For you and for your family. us and so we trust that we would do that we trust that uh, we would build relationships with folks around us and and not seek to just close the deal the first time we talk to them and scare them away but build lifelong relationships with folks so that we're able to communicate uh, the truth of the gospel and as Dell said in love and grace give us a great time in the service to follow in Jesus name amen Thank you for watching or listening to this teaching on demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. Please consider sending us an email at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com to let us know how this teaching may have helped you. Please also consider joining us in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church, located at 10251 Metro Parkway, Suite 116, Fort Myers, Florida, just south of the intersection of Metro and Colonial Boulevard. Sunday school begins at 9 and worship service at 10 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church.